Before we do anything else, let's, let's get a, a, a feel for the sense of these words of God that, that are before us this morning. The man whom the Holy Spirit is using to write down these words is the Apostle Peter. During Jesus' three-year ministry, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And during those three years, from we know this from the gospel accounts, Peter demonstrated repeatedly that he could be one impulsive man. There's, there's the time he was in a, in a fishing boat out on the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Jesus on the shoreline. He was so excited to get there that he, he left all of his... The rest of his friends behind, he jumped out of the boat and he swam to shore. Or there's the time when, when Jesus, when Peter gave in to the impulse of, of talking kind of big. And, and right in front of the other disciples, he said, well, I don't know about anybody else, Jesus. They might all turn their backs on you, but I never will. Words he came to regret there was the night in the Garden of Gethsemane when some of Jesus' enemies came with some guards to arrest Jesus and, and Peter, giving in to another impulse, pulled out a sword and, and sliced off the ear of one of the guards. The guard's name was Malchus. Jesus immediately stopped Peter, reached out and healed Malchus's ear. And then there were those dark moments after Jesus' arrest when Peter gave in to the impulse of, of flight, fear. He was so afraid of what might happen if people knew that he was one of Jesus' disciples that on three separate occasions, he explicitly denied that he even knew Jesus. Without a doubt, Peter knew a thing or two about giving in to impulses. All of which brings us to the words of God before us. As, as Peter writes these words, it, it's many years later. Years ago, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and his visible presence ascended into heaven. And since then... The Apostle Peter and the other apostles have gone out into the world to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done. Over those years, the Lord has seasoned Peter's faith. The Holy Spirit through the gospel has matured his view of life. In fact, as he writes these words, it's not too much longer before his own life is going to come to an end. And, and, we, and he knows this, and he talks about it in this letter. As he writes this letter to some fellow Christians, he, he does take a moment to speak to some of the, the voices that are bubbling out of the first century culture at this time, voices that you and I might find familiar, because in Peter's first century culture, 
there were some cynical voices that were chortling over the notion of the Lord coming back in judgment to bring this sinful world to an end. Some of Peter's readers are rattled by hearing these cynical, chortling voices. And so because of this, Peter takes a moment to say the following. He says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, for the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Peter here is echoing Moses in Psalm 90. He wants to emphasize that the eternal God looks at the passage of time. He doesn't look at the passage of time as you and I do. In fact, the eternal God does not look at the passage of time like you and I do at all. The eternal God has an entirely different concern. Peter explains, he says, The Lord is not slow to do what he promised, as some consider slowness. Then Peter gets to the heart of it. He says, instead, Peter says, instead the Lord is patient for your sakes not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. There it is. For your sakes, Peter says. For your sakes and for the sake of every soul on this earth, the Lord is holding back, holding back, holding back the end of all things. Why? Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Repentance, brothers and sisters. Repentance. The, the biblical concept of repentance is to look upon our, our sinful failures with, with heartfelt sorrow that is authentic, transparent, honest. Repentance knows nothing about rationalizations. It knows nothing about making excuses. Repentance knows nothing about listing all the extenuating circumstances of our lives so that we can all lawyer up and make the case as to why we did or did not do the things we were supposed to do with our lives. In the words of King David, repentance is nothing less than a broken and contrite heart. But repentance is not simply sorrow. The biblical concept of repentance also includes 
trust, wonderful, beautiful, vibrant trust in Jesus as the one who has come to rescue us from our sinful lives, the one who has come to, to wash us clean in his blood, the one who has come to, to, to cover us, to blanket us in the holiness of his holy life. This is why the Lord has not yet closed the door. In patience, he wants more and yet more blood-bought souls to come to repentance. There's a Christian writer by the name of Grant Castleberry. Grant Castleberry at present is a Ph.D. candidate in historical theology. And, and as such, he, he is an astute observer of Christianity in the United States. Recently, he, he made a, an observation about Christianity in the United States, an, an observation that, that seems a bit jarring. In many circles, he says, in many circles, he says that repentance is the lost doctrine of the 21st century. Repentance is the lost doctrine of the 21st century. His view seems to be saying that, that a great temptation for a lot of American Christians is to look upon Jesus simply as some nondescript, non-threatening sidekick uh, to help us feel better about ourselves if we have that impulse that we need to feel better about ourselves. If Castleberry's observation is at all accurate, then you and I need to stop, and think, absorb what a profound, miraculous, lovely thing is repentance. Here's some questions. What kind of a friend have I been? What kind of champion for the vulnerable have I been? What kind of a spouse have I been, really? What kind of a parent or grandparent have I been? What what kind of a son or a daughter have I been to my parents? How have I treated my siblings, my brothers and sisters, my, my nieces and nephews? What kind of patience have I demonstrated towards others? Not when things are fine, but how have I treated, what kind of patience have I demonstrated when I've been a little bit tired or a little bit stressed? How, how kindly do I speak of someone else if that someone else does not happen to 
be there. What websites do I look at when I think I'm alone? How much do I drink? How serious in fighting the good fight am I against all of my familiar temptations? And we all know what, what temptations are familiar to each of us. Do I fight the good fight? against those familiar temptations, or over time have I given up a little bit? Have I decided to let them come close, maybe have a friendly understanding? How serious have I been in growing in my relationship with my Lord? Whatever, whatever pile of, of, of haunting failures, sinful failures such, such questions produce, just for a moment, look at them. Look at them with a, a sorrow that is open, real. But then look to the one who has come for you the one who has, who has come for you, not, not simply to give you some bits of good advice, the one who has come for you not simply to give you some good examples to follow. Look to the one who has come for you, the one who has come to do what had to be done embrace you and bring you home. The one who came to rescue you. And in him you are. Though your sins are red as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God himself says through the prophet Isaiah, Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. That relief, that joy, that peace of sins forgiven is exactly what your Lord wants to wrap around you. That is what we receive through the Spirit wrought, the Spirit wrought miracle of a repentant heart. Be embraced by Him. Be filled with Him. And with a repentant heart, be at peace. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.